Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things. I have an update for you. Super fun. Uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, Kimberly surprised me with tickets to go see Tom Segura in Asheville. He's a stand-up comedian, one of my favorites, one of the best in my opinion. And the opening act was this comedian named Mike Cronin. I really liked his style, his stage presence, kind of the way he sees things, his demeanor on stage. And I reached out to him on Instagram and asked him if he would be on my podcast, and he said yes. And so some of you might know that I, after about 30 years of it being a dream of mine, um, I'm about to get on a stage for the first time to do stand-up comedy. I've been on a stage for uh, 25 or 30 years uh, in different contexts, and I've always wanted to try stand-up comedy. And so I've been working hard getting it, getting my first set ready, going to just do a whole bunch of open mics. As a matter of fact, on May 16th will be my first time ever on a stage. It's at a a comedy club that's having an open mic competition. So for some of you, you might be listening to this slightly before that, but most of you, you'll probably be listening after that. So uh, wish me luck if you're listening before, and then maybe you can, uh, if it's afterwards, just, you know, I'll give an update um, on the next podcast episode that I release. But I, I just sat down with him on Zoom. He lives in up in Detroit, and we just talked, and I asked him a million questions. So if you like listening to stand-up comedy, you might like listening to this conversation. You also might want to check him out on his website and all that. I'll, I'll share that with you later. Uh, and even if you just like the art of public speaking or you just like listening to people talk about stuff, my hope for this conversation, as well as for a lot of my podcast episodes, is that you listen to little themes, little you know, different topics, coffee, beer, comedy, bread, whatever it is, that you listen to it, and in about 45 minutes to an hour, you realize, you know, if I'm at a dinner party or hanging out with friends or if I'm at work or something and somebody brings up a topic... I know a little bit more about that topic now, so I can say some things about those things now. So that's kind of what this podcast is evolving into, is a a podcast that helps people have conversation about things. So you listen to a conversation about things, people that are experts in their field, and then when that thing is brought up in a conversation, you are more equipped to have a conversation about those things. You can say things about things. And let me tell you, it's to your advantage. If you are hanging out with friends, you're at a cocktail party, you're at a dinner party, you're at work, you're in the office. If you have something to say about something, that's to your advantage. Being able to have a conversation and being able to hang in a conversation is to your advantage. So I'm hoping that this thing about comedy will be to your advantage. Next time you're hanging out with friends, they bring up comedy, you can say, actually, I was listening to a podcast about comedy, and then you can be the person that knows everything about everything, at least in their mind, because no matter what thing is brought up, you have something to say about that thing. See what I mean? All right, well, buckle up and listen to Mike Cronin and I talk about stand-up comedy and wish me luck for my first ever set on May 16th. Enjoy.
probably isn't going to happen. How do you know when something might be funny? I think that's the first thing out of the gate. Like when it's only in your mind and you haven't Mm -hmm. spoken with anyone about it yet. Um, If it makes me laugh, I guess. Okay, that's exactly how I feel. As as simple as that sounds. (laughs) Or just like, um, maybe not even make me laugh, but just if I think like, huh, that was an odd situation. You're right. There we go. And then try to elaborate on that. Yeah, so it's the raw materials to start working with. And then I'm having a hard time in my mind thinking through what part of a story should be embellished and what part of the story is the true thing that really happened that needs to stay. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that from your experience? You've been doing this 15, 20 years, something like that you said, right? Yeah. 16. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I learned pretty early on the closer to reality, the better. I mean, obviously we all embellish Mm -hmm. a little bit for humor, but um sometimes you can go way too far embellishing like yeah uh i don't know like oh she had a thousand purses or something like uh-huh. and then it just becomes not real and it kind of drifts away from the point you're trying to make and do you think that the audience then stops believing the essence of what's happening when you go to when you say she had a thousand purses their brain goes i don't think i believe this anymore yeah yeah, yeah exactly but then like you I've said noticed is at the end a lot of times at the very end of a bit it's mm-hmm. really exaggerated and everybody knows it but they laugh because they know that moment's over and they don't have to keep following the story yeah and i notice that happens a lot of times yeah yeah like uh i don't know if i did it on that show but the the joke about giving my cat away on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, it ends with me saying she's in a better place. She's in heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it was just something I made up in the moment w- yeah. while on stage. Yeah. Right. But, um, but most of the other stuff is kind of how it really went down. Yeah. I'd say 95% of my act is, is, is true mm-hmm. with, I mean, it's all true. It's just little embellishments here and there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the the nature of storytelling, mm-hmm. I think, is that same same point. It's like, well, I wasn't waiting for three hours. I was waiting for 30 minutes, but it felt like three hours. And it's the story is still totally true. It's, I yeah. want you to know how I felt. Right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then and then when it's no longer in your brain, you put it on paper or on, you know, some document on your computer, phone, whatever it is. Do you have a group of people that you throw things by before it hits the open mic or not? Open, you're probably not open mic guy. You're like people book you, but like for me, it'd be open mic. But do you, do you show up and, and, and the audience tells you first, or do you have like five friends or something to tell you first, if it's funny? Um, it, well, usually what I do is, um, before if i think an idea is funny i will just tell somebody the idea in person not as like this is a joke but just in conversation i'd bring it up you don't stand up and start doing the material (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) 
Well, there's like there's like a a very um a thing that's kind of shit upon in comedians is is running bits by other people without them like saying like oh do you want to do a joke oh right so you don't so, just start doing it right? yeah so I don't just start doing it and I also and it's also not in joke form I'm just like telling a story and seeing if it gets a reaction and if that gets a laugh then I think oh there's something there and then I write it out flush it out and then I bring it to an open mic or lately what I've been doing is um just put it in the middle of my set and see how it does and then mm. if it gets a good reaction then I'll keep it or work on it I always work on yeah, everything like tweaking timing and yeah but who do you who do you run it by and how do you know if they're the right person to run the idea by it, do they have to be funny or is that not the right person to ask because the audience is the people that will laugh it's not an audience full of comedians yeah i run it by a couple of people not anyone in particular but just more than one person and i don't know that i know anyone that isn't funny in some way or another oh i love that perspective man yeah so you're not you're not just like um who are the funniest comedians in the world i'm going to ask them if it's funny that's not how you filter it it's like the people that i know they're my friends i trust the way that they look at the world yeah. And sometimes I do it unintentionally. Like I was uh, just telling a story to my friend one time when we were working together and he was like, you should do that on stage. And then I did it verbatim. Like I told him and it was already a fully fleshed out bit, like yeah. didn't need to work on it at all. Did you ever yeah. write it down? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was on my last album or my newest special. So what I did during quarantine was I wrote out every single joke word for word yeah. um, with spaces in between so that I could tweak, edit, like just look at the words and just for word economy's sake, just to see yeah. um, if I'm wasting anything or if anything could be added to it. Mm -hmm. And then do you ever look, when you look at those words or think about the words, do you ever do Remember like in high school, if you're writing a paper, maybe in college, you're like, this isn't, this doesn't seem like a smart person wrote this, uh, wrote this. So I'm going to do some synonyms, see if I can find <laughs> synonyms. Do you ever do that where you're like, I want to, I want a more creative word here, but I don't yeah. know one in my brain just look up synonyms for the word. Absolutely. Yeah. I hate using the same word over and over again in a joke. So I will, I will definitely do that. Mm -hmm. How did you know when you were funny? Um, I don't know. I, uh, I was obsessed with stand-up growing up. Same. And, um, what show were you at? You were in Charleston, right? I was in Asheville. Oh, Asheville. Okay. Um, in Charleston, I told this, but, um, when I was 16 years old or no, I was, I was 15. I was my freshman year. I was doing impressions and um like movie quotes to my friends and i just made a bunch of them laugh and one of them didn't laugh and he goes you know everything you've ever made someone laugh at was something from someone else he's like you've never originally right. made someone laugh on your own thing right and that like really hurt but also like from then on i started being original and trying to make people laugh just on my own words and yeah that's 
how I started writing. I started writing jokes shortly after that. I started yeah. doing stand up three years after that. And yeah. That's great. Well, it sounds like what, what it started with is you noticed things that were funny yeah. from other people. And when you relayed that to them, they went, that is funny. Yeah. So you, knew you could communicate what's funny, but you did, you need to come up with it on your own. Right. Yeah. I, I've been, man, I wanted to do this ever since I think I was 14. I'm 44 mm-hmm. now. And wow, never, you look great. Never, thanks. I never did it. <laughs> I just never did it. Mostly, I would say the two things that I liked the most, other than baseball, when I was a teenager, I liked hip hop and rap. And then I liked mm-hmm. comedy. And then I went into ministry. And those two things. Yeah. How does that happen? Told me like, Hey, you're not really supposed to like those two things. Yeah. And I just sort of set them to the side. Mm -hmm. And then during COVID, I was like, I was mowing my lawn, listening to NWA. And I was like, (laughs) Hey, I think I'm done being a pastor. I think I'm just going to lean into what I really like here. Cause I had, I mean, I had NWA on cassette tape, man. Yeah. I was listening to, I was listening to Dave Chappelle in the nineties on cassette yeah, over and over and over and memorizing his words and like, well, Andrew Dice Clay, which I'm not, I don't really want to be that style, but I was like really. And for the last, you know, 25 or 30 years, it's like whenever I'm in a conversation with someone and they bring up a topic, my brain accesses like a catalog of bits. Yeah. And I'm like, so-and-so has a bit about that. And I start talking about it. And I'm the same way in my blood. I mean, sometimes it can be annoying because it's like the only thing. And I guess everybody has that. It, you know, if you have a friend who has a hobby, everything relates to that hobby for them, jogging mm-hmm. or biking or whatever it is. And I guess mine's just comedy. And I kind of had this thought where that's the thing that I wanted to do, but chose to not pursue. So, oh, well. Mm-hmm. And then I went, wait a second. I, I can still do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't have to. I don't have to try to make it like a how I like pay my bills. I can just try to see if I'm funny. Right. You know, and so I'm looking forward to it. And it was just something about your. Your timing. That resonated with me. And filler. I'm, so I teach public speaking at Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. And I'm always talking about not using unnecessary filler language where most people when they're talking they would add phrases like and you know and stuff like that and like and um and I always said don't use those unless you very much want to use those and then use them with intentionality but don't don't do it as accidental filling the silence and you started and I went he's pausing on purpose I really like this and that was the yeah. first thing I thought <laughs> even before the even before the quote funny part it was like yeah he knows how to be on the stage and he knows how to, he's de- communicating this very deliberately, which is kind of an interesting thing. Cause your demeanor, your body language kind of has this, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of talking. I'm, I didn't really plan this. That's how your body communicates, which obviously isn't true. You don't get to the point in your career where you just go, I don't know what I'm about to say. We'll just see what happens. It's like, no, yeah, you know, but I think that's the, I think some of the best comedians that's how the audience feels is he's just up here. He's just kind of talking about life randomly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the um, illusion to stand up is that you make it look like you're just, it's just coming off the top of your head, but really uh, 
it's planned out and it's been mm-hmm. worked on hundreds and hundreds of times before yeah. it gets to that point. Right. But I would imagine that even though that's true, there are moments. Well, let me just ask, are there moments where you've worked on it 200 times, now you're delivering it and you feel confident in all the m- moments, but your brain goes, Ooh, right now, I just realized you should add this. Do you, does that ever happen to you? Almost every set. Yeah. And then you try to document, like harness that, remember Mm -hmm. to do that next time. Right. Or do you like write that down? Yeah. I film all my sets or I record them on my phone. Yeah. Um, But if anything like that happens, it sticks out in my brain immediately once I get off stage. Mostly because of the response from the audience. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, and, ever, do you ever feel that it was right? They don't respond, but you're like, no, I know that's funny. I just didn't say it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you just got to trust yourself then, really. You do. Yeah. And that's something actually I um, had to relearn the last time I was with Tom because it was right before my special taping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my friend was like, hey, send me your sets and I'll see if like you can tweak any jokes or put some last minute touches on him and i sent him three and after the third one he goes um he's like you have road stank on you and what he meant by that is that i had been doing so many clubs and all over the country sometimes to really dumb crowds or just people who weren't getting me and i would just go through my jokes like Here's this one. Here's that one. Here's that one. In my head, in your head, yeah. and in my and it was to the point where I could say the jokes and in my head be thinking of something completely different. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I get that feeling just from the, the number of years I've taught. I, I totally yeah. get that. And uh, just going through, you know, what to say. Yeah, and then um, after that, I started to be more present in the moment, and it's like night and day performance wise uh different well it sounds like it, the advice a monk would give a comedian be present in the <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> you know? yeah that's good stuff man what, what about size i mean if you're in a if you're in a little bar and they have a comedy night and there are 13 people is that easier harder how's it different than 500 or a thousand or whatever it really depends on the crowd itself. I mean, I did uh, another show preparing for my special. I did a room in Chicago, and it was maybe, I don't know, 10 feet by 15 feet, like very small, like a bedroom, basically. But it, it could fit 30 people, and only four people showed up, and they were amazing they were an incredible four. It was like the best four person crowd I've ever performed for. And then I've done a room with 200 people who just don't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> there so, might be some cultural stuff involved, which city yeah. it is, which region, that kind of deal. Oh yeah. I opened up for Bruce Bruce. It was 600 people did not care for it or like it at all (laughs) it was rough it was a rough 10 minutes so how do you press through let's say it's minute four and you go this isn't working in here you don't want to be the guy who goes screw you guys i'm out of here that's not especially when you're opening for someone and people paid money you're obviously not going to do that probably shouldn't ever do that unless someone is a really horrible 
to you physically or whatever. Right. You get through from minute four to 10 when you're like, this isn't working. I will address it. I'll be like, well, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's, that's my go-to because it breaks the tension and the crowd, because, because the crowd wants to like you, they just don't. And so by just breaking the tension, be like, I know I'm not your cup of tea. Like, yeah. uh, Maybe you don't like my jokes so far, but let me just try to switch it up. And then I would do other jokes. So you Uh, switch from the 10 minutes that you had locked in, you'll just switch and you'll switch to, what do you switch to other jokes that have worked in other places, but weren't part of this particular set. Right. Yeah. Or some of my like heavy hitters, my closers or stuff towards the end that, work 99% of the time. So something you thought you were going to end with just got bumped from minute eight to minute four. Yeah. With no parachute of how you're going to end the set. Well, yeah. Then I, I do the math in my head of like, okay, what else could I close with? And then I put oh, that in that right. place. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is another closer that I wasn't going to close with today. But yeah. It has worked. So it's, the, it's tonight's closer. Right. Yeah. But that takes years. I, I learned early on, uh, one of my friends was working the door at the comedy club in Cincinnati where I started and Mike Birbiglia was headlining and the club thought he was bringing the the middle and he thought the club was booking the middle. So he shows up two minutes before the show and is like, who, who's opening for me. Mm-hmm. And so they just look at the door guy. They're like, you want to do it? He's like, yeah. And, uh, he, uh, featured for him all weekend and ended up going on tour with Mike doing like half of my secret public journal tour. Oh, man. And after that, I was like, uh, I made, I made the distinct, um, <laughs> I'm spacing on the word. Like a decision. I made the decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To always be ready to do as much time as you possibly can at yeah. any moment. Yeah. And that's where I feel. So I think I told you this, but I have never done it ever. Mm-hmm. It's coming Monday night, uh, uh, comedy cabana in Myrtle beach. It's like an open mic competition. So that'll be my first time literally ever is giving it a go. Wow. But I feel ready to try. Like if you just said, Hey man, there's a, we got this thing. We need somebody to do an hour right now. I would be like, yeah, right now. Yeah, I have no clue if any of it's funny, but my experience on the stage, I think I would be fine doing it, including failing. Yeah, which I know would happen for probably ninety percent of it, but I'd be like, "Hey, I'm I'm up here trying," you know. That's that's enough. <laughs> yeah. you, know? Right. You, know, you know, when you said you're from Cincinnati, you look like somebody who would be from Cincinnati. Has anyone ever told you that? Oh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but thanks. I've never been there. I don't know. It's it's a it's with no context of what Cincinnati is. I'm just like I believe, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm a Cincinnati type. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. <laughs> is, is it? Do you think it's a compliment? Because I, I didn't. It's a neutral statement for me. Uh, I guess I don't know. I've never really thought about it, but yeah, Cincinnati Airport for a layover one time doesn't count. No, mm-hmm. nothing about it. Except, you know, the Reds from back in the day. I know yeah. that much. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, yeah. And the uh, Icky Shuffle. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's good stuff from Cincinnati. You should check it out. Cincinnati is actually a cool town. It. Um, I hated it growing up, but then they completely, like, read it downtown. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. There's great restaurants and great hangout spots. Go Bananas is uh, 
not downtown, but north of the city. And it's one of the best comedy clubs in the country. Mm-hmm. So when you started before you were doing specials, before you were getting booked, paid anything, you're just showing up. Did you go to one or two places and just keep going? Or did you find a dozen or two dozen different places to try or more? And did you start traveling and, or did you just go, I'm just going to go to this club and just keep going and trying? That was my plan. And then I, I think after the third or fourth time, a comic came up to me and said, um, you know, we do other shows around the city at bars and coffee shops and stuff. You should start doing those too. Oh, nice. And so then I started doing every show they had in the city three to four times a week on stage. Yeah. Um, and then that scene in particular is so much more welcoming and helping everybody mm-hmm. um, than any other scene I've been a part of that they just looked out for me. I had two comics who were like established in the scene, mm-hmm. J- Dave Waite and Jeff Tate, who came up to me after a show at Go Bananas, just an open mic. And they said, you should start taking this more seriously. We both think you're funny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, great. Awesome. Thank you. And then they, they both go, we want you to know that we don't ever do this. We've never done this with anybody. Yeah. Like, we just believe in you and we think that you're funny and you should work yeah. harder. And I was like, okay, that's I will. Amazing. That's like, I mean, that's at that, at least at that point in the career, that's probably why you were doing it. It's so yeah. someone would see you and say, you're funny. That's the essence mm-hmm. of it. In baseball, you know, growing up in baseball, the ultimate compliment would be if someone looks at you and says, you're really good. Yeah. It's more than, it's just a, it's a very basic sentence that almost seems juvenile, but that is the best thing to say to them. And that's, it sounds like what these guys did. They went, you're funny. And it's like, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Better than probably a whole audience. Yeah. Applauding it because you know that they know what they're talking about. Right. Yeah. Well, how did you continue to persevere? You know, I, I, you know, I don't know your story, but I hear so many stories of, you know, barely getting by. And that's kind of the classic thing that a lot of companies mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, was that your journey too? Very much. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I live with my parents until I was 27 and then I moved above the comedy club in Cincinnati uh, at like the cheapest place I could find and um, was living there illegally like mm-hmm. there it's not zoned for an apartment right. I lived there for two years and then I moved to Chicago uh, my friend's brother owned an apartment building and I lived in the basement and I was the super uh, for insanely cheap rent Mm-hmm. and just yeah it was just years and years of just barely getting by just eking out a living but working a lot I mean working 25 30 weeks a year which is in comedy is huge well how did you get by though I mean like logistically speaking did you have to do other stuff to earn money yeah, yeah. Uh, I worked at the comedy club. I would do their landscaping, um, 
and I answered phones sometimes. I booked the openers. I was a door guy. Um, and then when I moved, I started working Instacart and Grubhub mm-hmm. and would come back and work for them sometimes. Um, honestly, I had to borrow a lot of money from my parents. Um, and yeah, it's tough. It's not a great living. I I still don't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. I haven't had it since I was 21 working a, a factory job. Right. So it's not so great. That, that begs the question of why do you do it? Um, I love it. It's the best in the world. It makes me incredibly happy. I love making people laugh. Um, to your point, I think the best compliment I could get is someone saying I was having a really awful day and you just made me laugh and made me forget about my problems for half hour. Mm-hmm. And that's the best compliment I can get. You know, it, it, I can't remember where I heard this. It might've been somewhere on NPR or something. Cause it's, it feels like an NPR type of thing, but it was that, that in some cultures and historically, and maybe more cultures than today, that storytellers were considered to be the most valuable people in the, in a village or a community and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, with our, with our structure and economy and all that, the way that it's set up now, it doesn't seem like that. Mm -mm. But I, if you did, if you temporarily set aside money, which I mean, that's, it's it's not a realistic thing to say, but just in your mind, set aside money. I do still think that's true. I think that, I think that people, people are like, we need people to tell us stories. It's an absolute necessity of civilization to feel like we're thriving in any way, not just surviving like dodging yeah. bullets and bombs. It's like, uh, okay. So how yeah, long yeah. were you a uh, pastor? 20 something years, 22 wow. years. Yeah. Youth pastor for 10 years, senior pastor or whatever for about 12 or 13. Were you the funny pastor? You know, I didn't mean to be. I'm, I'm more. I would say I would be the authentic pastor. People would describe yeah. me as like the guy that I don't have a persona on the stage. I'm literally just being myself. Yeah. And I think people resonated with that. But there were. I had this one thing that I didn't mean for it to be a bit or anything. But I just like when I'm reading things, including the Bible. I'm, I try to think of what's an angle that hasn't been thought of here. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember pictured on you know, resurrection jesus is resurrected and the women come to the tomb and there are these men glowing shining like angels and they say you know he's not here he's risen and i and i for some reason it just struck me and it happened in the moment as i was talking um it struck me we, have, we kind of picture him as like white dudes with indiana neutral accents or something like that <laughs> yeah. and i was like I, what if there were like kind of a uh, rough around the edge angels that were like, had like the British Cockney low end accent <laughs> yeah. and they were like sitting on the tomb, smoking a cigarette. And like the, the women came in and the guy was like, he's no way. And like <laughs> everybody laughed and I was like, Whoa, you know? And then uh, some middle-aged couple came up to me and were like, uh, they came a year later on Easter visiting from out of town. And they were like, will you do the, he's not here thing again this year and i was like what they're like you did that last year will you do it again this year and i was like i don't know Uh, but i didn't i didn't like mean to be the funny guy as much as i was just being myself you know Mm -hmm. 
but I was always thinking about stand-up, watching it, talking to my friends about it, and then kind of compartmentalize that into, I don't think really Sunday morning sermon is really where you do that because I don't like it when I've gone to a church and you can tell the guys like, Hey, everybody. And like kind of being clownish. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not really into that. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of see it as a completely different form of art, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But also, you know, a lot of, a lot of the content. It's <laughs> <is laughs> not super hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. The content's not funny. And then on the flip side, a lot of the content that you hear comedians is not really quote church appropriate right yeah but it's real life appropriate and Mm -hmm. so that's fine you know it is what it is yeah yeah. but i'm 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 struggling with that a little bit because i think when some folks that only kind of know me as the guy on this church stage when they start hearing me talk about a few other bits they might be like i don't like how jason's changed and he's saying these things yeah (laughs) they're not like cancelable offense phrases i don't mean like the worst things mm-hmm. it's not that category but just anything that isn't churchy <laughs> yeah is already going to be like i don't like this yeah <laughs> just is what it is uh what about what about a? let's say you, you 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 got a handful of things that you think might work but you go to an open mic and that open mic is five minutes long mm-hmm. just go with your gut of which one to try yeah yeah i mean my jokes are typically one to two minutes each so Mm -hmm. i could get two to three jokes in a five minute set Uh uh-huh yeah Um, that's that's hard for me i don't know what kind i am yet except what i feel is i tell a story and i notice highlights in the story mm -hmm. that involve characters that you might hopefully remember embellish a few things about that that i thought were funny and make it tiny bit exaggerated with hopefully you're smiling the whole time. And then at the end, something hits that you didn't expect. Yeah. That's about five to 10 minutes each, Mm -hmm. but I don't really have the one minute bit. And so I don't, I think I'm, whenever I go to an open mic, I think it's going to be, I'm just going to do this one bit because it takes five minutes. Yeah. So I just got to figure it out. What I would do when I first started out was I would uh, write out my sets word for word. And then I would, uh, start a timer and read them and once i got to four and a half minutes i would stop because that would allow 30 seconds of laughter in that five minutes oh i like that and uh that almost all i i was like known for being like very on time and like Mm -hmm. ending and if i don't get any laughs then i talked for four and a half minutes and got off slightly early and that's better than going over your time yeah yeah What about like it? Let's let's say it's five to seven minutes, and you hit seven. Have you, do you do? Do they like flash you and make you leave? I've heard stories, but I've never experienced it. Yeah, they usually give you a minute grace period, and then after that, they can shut the mic off yeah. or. Well, like the music. minute grace period is pretty. I feel like that's a long grace period because if you're in the middle of something and you know you're about to end, they give you that minute. You can finish that thing up in twenty seconds if you really have to yeah yeah but with nerves and uh, a lot of people it being their first time on stage Mm -hmm. they either don't hear in the announcements where the light's coming from or they just don't notice it and they'll just go on for five seven ten minutes sometimes yeah that makes sense so i might want to 
find out that some yeah. is it usually a flashlight thing yeah it's usually a flashlight in the back of the room in the same place mm -hmm. well what about when you have exhausted in your mind some of the material and it's been a few years and you're like, well, I know that I should keep this in the repertoire because it's funny and people laugh. Um, but you're st working on new stuff. So you're probably peppering in stuff that you know works with stuff that doesn't. Is it hard to maintain the energy of something that it's the first time they've ever heard it, but you've been telling this story 100 times a year for seven years? Like, how is it hard to still do it with the energy that it, 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 it's required? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the bone snake thing is uh, 13 years old, I think. Yay! Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it is... It's a good one. It's a good it, one. Yeah, yeah. And it is... Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm still doing the bone snake. But I had... Like, I keep writing callbacks to it and other jokes. And I'm like, oh, I guess I got to keep doing it. You got to keep going. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's tough, especially a lot of comics have this when you do a joke that becomes a t-shirt that you sell afterwards, you have to do it every single show, every single night. And that it becomes like your best bit. It goes from your best bit until like you're just going through the motions through it and then it just stops getting then the you laughs. become boys to men going, I'll make love to you. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. this song again? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but you got to give them what they want, I guess. I, I mean, I, I yeah. suppose you wouldn't have to if you were, I guess if you were confident enough in it, you could, it would be like, if, if your audience knows the joke and they want to buy the shirt because they saw that joke from a long time ago. Right. Yeah. And also another thing I learned early on was, uh, I learned from this comic, Robert Hawkins, he, um, he might be retired now but he was he was at go bananas every year and they on his headshot they would put like stickers of like you know like tonight show um like their credits mm -hmm. and one of his was blue collar comedy tour and i personally didn't like the blue collar comic so i was like i don't want to go see that yeah and what it's i found out category i get it yeah. yeah and what i found out was that he opens up for and writes for ron white which oh. of those guys is my favorite i think sure. ron white is actually super funny mm -hmm. um but i yeah i spent years like I'm, I'm not gonna i'm gonna take the week off i'm not gonna go see this blue collar guy and i went and saw him and i had to leave the room twice because my ribs were hurting for laughing so much and this is like three or four years in. So like you get a little bit jaded on jokes, but sure. he is the funniest person I've ever seen perform live. And yeah, I don't think of him as the blue collar genre, although I understand why someone put him in that. It's more yeah, like, yeah. it's more like he doesn't really have the genre, but, so, but you got to stick him on a tour with other people. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's like functioning alcoholic dad comedy tour. Yeah. More so than blue collar yeah yeah feels different yeah. uh-huh but uh yeah but robert okay. he had a joke on his first album that he had added so much to throughout the years that he ended up putting on his third album too whoa and what i learned from that is that a joke is never done even when you think it is even when you put it out there so every you, comic has that experience of 
of recording and then the next week or the week after they come up with the perfect tag that completes the joke and you're like ah i just i just got that so you're saying it's cool to record that on the next album as long as something is different yeah yeah i I mean the bone snake the same right yeah well bone snake is on my first album and it might be word for word the same on my special too but just because of the callbacks and stuff and that was something i wanted to do when i recorded the first album is that i i want to have callbacks throughout all of my material from the beginning so that if you listen to all of it you're like oh that's a reference to this joke on this album or this joke on this special deep dive into what callback even means usually it's like remember five minutes ago when i mentioned this i'm mentioning it again (laughs) but you're talking about remember a decade ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah remember nine years ago (laughs) yeah that's good that's good uh trying to think of who Oh, it seems like that's the that's the new it's not new i shouldn't have said new it's a trendy thing and almost expected for there to be callbacks mm-hmm. do you ever do you ever not do callbacks i love doing callbacks i i always do callbacks so you don't ever just get up there for 10 15 minutes and just say things that are funny and never refer back um yeah i mean yeah of course i do that sometimes but um just to have one is such a a good laugh it's also a barometer of if the audience is paying attention there we go are you it's like you tracking with me yeah why do you think that's such a expected thing now because i feel like going into it brand new i feel like i am supposed to have that no not brand new you're i mean you develop that throughout oh well your sorry career, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously holding myself to probably an unrealistic expectation <laughs> yeah yeah but but the, but the goal is to have that but eventually I feel that yeah. goal from the trend of comedy more so than from in me mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yeah i mean it's definitely a part it's a big part of comedy in it um mm-hmm. so much of comedy now is just bits and bit form so it's just mm-hmm. one joke on yeah. instagram whatever like 10 and, seconds long and you yeah and, and just keep scrolling yeah right and then and that breaks that up a little bit where you're like oh what it what is that about why is that getting a laugh and then you mm-hmm. i mean it's part of like it almost works better in social media to have a call back in uh-huh right yeah, I, I, I'm working on that. I, I notice things and sometimes I wonder, is it forced? Kevin Hart, who I feel like is a gene, he's, I think sometimes underestimated, which sounds weird to say he's one of the most famous, but sometimes mm-hmm. I think people underestimate and think that he's only funny because he's so, he's such a big personality. I actually think he writes amazing material. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, he sometimes does callbacks so much that you're like, geez, man, how can you reference like 10 <laughs> things in one? <laughs> you know? it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's a skill. I mean, it is a skill, but I'm not sure if I want to try that. It just uh-huh. sometimes seems like, okay, we get it. You're referring back to your stuff. Yeah. But Kevin, I mean, maybe if you're one of the most famous in the whole world, then right. fine, go for it, right? There's this comic. Are you familiar with Nick Vatterat? Yeah, he had this. Uh, I think it was a Conan's, where um, okay. he he does a joke where he goes, uh, you know, when you're like, uh, 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 and everyone's like, oh, and and the whole crowd is like, what is he talking about? And then later, 
he pulls out like a scroll that's like it's supposed to be a set list that's like four or five feet long it just drips all the way to the floor and he's looking at it and he goes nah let's see i did the temple of doom bit and that was it it was just a reference to an indiana <laughs> joke it's so good yeah and the joke itself isn't funny but the callback is what makes it make sense it's more like explaining the joke yeah yeah <laughs> oh my gosh that's really good yeah it's like they're it's like there aren't really rules, man. There's not. It's amazing. There's a little bit of rules, like maybe uh, if you want to not get canceled, there's a few rules. Right. Some comedians are like, no, I'm fine being canceled. I'm still going to do whatever I have in mind. Right, yeah. It's kind of a Chappelle, maybe kind of a Chappelle thing. He's like, no, this is funny, and someone needs to be able to say this, so I'm going to say it. Yeah, Yeah. for sure, yeah. Do you ever feel that like pressure of, am I going to say something that my career is going to end? No, no, I never feel, I, I always, it bothers me so much when comics harp on, you can't say anything anymore, because mm -hmm. I don't think that's true at all. I think you can say whatever you want. You just have to have the likability or uh, you got to, write it in such a good way that you can get away with it right like david tell says some awful things on stage mm -hmm. but he's so damn funny and it's also so fast that like you forget about it two minutes later because you're laughing at something True. completely and different tom, and tom segura he is a master at talking about race yeah in a way that does i don't think he's racist at all i just think he's funny in the way that he talks about racial differences right yeah but i'm sure that there he probably gets blasted with like how dare you you racist i'm sure he gets hit with that stuff just because people aren't realizing it's he's up there doing an art form and right yeah but him like most of people complain of of what he's if they think what he said is racist they're white people complaining on behalf of black people or asians or whatever and where the i've seen the jokes like where people I used to work with him when he was in comedy clubs and he would point out a specific person of a race, be like, is that true? And they're like, 100%. He did that in his mostly stories with a, with a Chinese guy. Yeah. He did. He used to do that every show at comedy oh, okay. clubs. I bet you he kills in black clubs. Uh, probably. Yeah. I would think so. I would imagine that black guys like what he says about black culture. If I yeah. Yes. Uh huh. You know, he used to, speaking of cancelable, he had a thing in his podcast. <laughs> it's my favorite podcast thing of all time. It was a segment called Tom or Black. Okay. And the, the guest member had to guess, he would play a clip and the guests would have to guess whether it was Tom talking, doing a Black accent or an actual Black person. Okay. And he had two Black people on and they both failed. The one got zero out of 11 right and the other one got four out of 11 right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah that's amazing i love well i think that the fact that he is peruvian helps the cause yeah which is why i loved your joke saying isn't aren't you like half mexican or something that was so good <laughs> right. because because there, basically what would happen is if there's someone that just showed up and don't even really know who you or him are they just showed up at a comedy 
they would just be like, he doesn't look half Mexican. What is that guy talking about? Yeah. <laughs> or they might be like, yeah, I did. I heard that Tom Segura speaks Spanish. So maybe he's half Mexican. And right. that's why it's so funny. Yeah. Me, right. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, you know, he's not Mexican. You've been friends for 20 years. Like, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he's not Mexican. Yeah. You know his full story. And that's why it's funny. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I, um, I, <laughs> I would joke about him with that early on because on one of his last hours, he, he said Machu Picchu, but he said it like perfectly pronounced like Machu Picchu, yeah, yeah. like in the Spanish way. And I was like, man, sometimes I forget that you're like half a wetback. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he loved it. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he would almost have to because of how he dishes it out. He's got to be just realize he's got to take it too. It's just part yeah. of what comes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're the Cincinnati guy. I don't know how to, I don't know any jokes about Just Cincinnati. Guy. Most Cincinnati guy you've ever met. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it kind of a neutral? It's one of those like places that doesn't have that many things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, not really. Chile. That's what we're known for. Oh, I didn't uh, even know that. Really? Our, yeah. Um, our, uh, our sports teams not being bad for decades. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like, not sure whether to laugh or cry yeah. <laughs> yeah you know well the Bengals were in the super bowl this year so yeah if um hopefully that'll change if joe doesn't get some offensive line he's in trouble or he'll maybe he'll just leave yeah he's great though yeah it's really good well i can't think of anything else is it maybe just kind of as we finish up um is there something that you can come up with in your head that, that would be advice without a a question prompting it other than this question this advice on here's what you've learned that is one of the most important things that you've learned in the last 16 plus years about doing stand-up comedy um one thing early on that i learned is something you touched on but um in the beginning you want to build the best five minutes for your open mic set and then turn that into the best 10 minutes for your host set and then the best 25 for your feature set and one thing i always did was try to get as many jokes into those sets as possible and through my time i've learned that timing and spacing are more important than laughs per minute um so that's good. That's a good one. And some of the best advice I got, I took a uh, a comedy class, like a free one from a comedy club. Mm-hmm. And they talked nothing of how to do comedy. It was all the side stuff, the ancillary, like uh, over tip the wait staff, uh, be nice to everybody. Uh, I'm sure that's not going to be a problem for a former man of the cloth, but uh <laughs> But literally, I've seen so many comics be a dick to like some open micer who later becomes the booker or, you know, blows up and has a career. And then Mm -hmm. they shot themselves in the foot years ago because and don't get work there anymore. Yeah. I mean, you're talking basic etiquette, sort of karma 101. Yeah. If you're nice, the chances are people will like you. (laughs) Yeah. And I've seen it throughout the years, both of those things. Like if you're an asshole to the wait staff, you're not going to work that club ever again. Oh. You're not going to get booked on open mics. You're not going to do anything. Because they don't need you. 
There's always yeah. someone else that'll come in here, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you are funny, there's plenty of funny people. Yeah, yeah, that was something I learned too, is that somebody broke it down this way. Every comedy club has only 52 weeks to book somebody a year. Mm-hmm. Three spots, so 150 eight six whatever um times a year and there are thousands of comics writing that club hoping to get work and just don't give that club a reason not to book you okay that's good my context i live in the mountains of north carolina there are no clubs within 100 miles of any direction (laughs) yeah there there's you know two hours from charlotte Mm mm-hmm Two hours from Greensboro, three hours from Raleigh, Durham, two hours from Asheville. So I, I have a whole list of places. Yeah. I'm just, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm literally going to drive this summer to Raleigh for four minutes and then mm-hmm. drive home three hours mm-hmm. each way. And then two, two days later, I'm going to drive two hours to Greensboro for four to six minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> but I feel it's like I have to try. But that's super beneficial too. I mean, that might work out in your favor because um, that's another big thing that a lot of comics don't do early on is go to other cities and see what makes other people laugh. Yeah. Because some, a lot of clubs, a lot of open mics, they bring out the same type of people who will laugh at the same type of stuff. Right. And if you're not their cup of tea, that doesn't mean that joke's not funny. It just means it's not going to work there. Yeah. You can go two hours another direction, and it yeah. that joke will kill. Yeah, well, uh, man, yeah, because my first time's in Myrtle Beach, and I don't know if you know anything about Myrtle Beach, but it's way different than Boone. Boone is like Asheville, like yeah, that granola vibe, mm-hmm. and Myrtle Beach is not. And so no. I don't, I don't really know how this is gonna land, but I'll just try. Yeah, there's a club there, Carolina Comedy Club, that. I've worked a couple of times. Oh, cool! Yeah, I've, I've seen and, I've seen it online, but I've never been there. But this one's called Comedy Cabana. But yeah, I'll try my best to keep going. What about um? I know that was it. Sort of seemed like the final question, but I just thought of <laughs> no, yeah, go ahead. Any advice on how to like if I'm new and I don't even live in a town that you know how do I schmooze right without being the schmoozing guy? How do I like work my way in to be accepted and like? Hey, yeah, come on back. Um, other than just if I'm funny and I'm not, and I'm nice, should I call and ask for who the person is that books shows? Should I not be that guy? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to break all the unwritten rules right away. Um, I, I was. I'm always a big proponent of let me show you what I got, and then, and like. You know, if I want to get into a new club, I'm like, hey, I'll come and do a guest set as opposed to I'll send you a video um, okay. because I want I want to prove myself to somebody before asking that stuff. So I would say that. But also, I mean, that's sometimes you just get opportunities by asking like the squeaky wheel does get the grease sometimes. Yeah, just and, to be nice and ask. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'd, I'd yeah. say somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Yeah. Right, right, right. I know that's not a great answer, but. No, no, it is. It is a helpful answer. I'm scribbling down notes here. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you want your uh, last question for real? And then we'll jump off. What, what are your goals now? Like it's 16 years in and you're funny and people know you're funny and you have specials you release and all that kind of stuff. 
how do you know what the goals are other than just be funny? Um, I, uh, I don't know. I write at the beginning of every year. I, I write a list of my top 10 goals of the year okay. and, um, putting out an album slash special was, was on the list for the last three years. It's finally mm-hmm. coming true. Uh, and now I'm rebuilding, um, get to start a new podcast right now. My goals are just to build an audience and, uh, start headlining. I headline a lot of clubs, but headlining more and more mm-hmm. and, uh, building an audience and building the next hour are my goals currently. Yeah. That's what but I down hear. the road, I mean, I just want to be a, a working headlining comedian. Mm-hmm working throughout the country mm-hmm. it's a great goal yeah <laughs> the huge goal i mean i'm sitting there going, i just want to see if i'm funny so that's where i'm at yeah but uh you having headlining experience and wanting that to continue and grow i think you will man i think that uh i think what, what i sensed from you when i was watching you more so than anything else was calm confidence mm-hmm I think that's, and I think that goes a long way because sometimes confidence looks like spazzy energy Yeah, and to, to contain it without showing it, I think is a a distinct skill set. Well, yeah, my, my older brother, um, was a very big trash talker Mm. and I found out what drove him nuts more than anything in the world. Wasn't trash talking back. It was just being calm and confident and just destroying him at something like a video game or something that would drive him nuts more than, than right, you're uh, just winning trash talking and you're beating him in NCAA football or whatever yeah. it is. And you're just like silent. Yeah. Touchdown. Yeah. There's the TV. He's slamming the controller it's on the really ground. This good. game cheats. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, Mike Cronin Comedy.com, if you want to follow his work. And also on Instagram, he's at Bone Snake 3, <laughs> which is uh, referring to a, a comedy bit that he's been doing, I think he said, for the last 13 years or something like that. It's, it's really funny. You could probably find it online. So, Mike Cronin, and that is C R O N I N. Mike cronincomedy.com find him on instagram at bonesnake3 and he also has a podcast called mr cheeks so check him out hopefully you'll like him thanks so much for listening hopefully you have a little bit more to talk about at the office tomorrow